Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV, episode number 405 for Tuesday, the 23rd of June, 2015. Hello! Hello there, everybody. We've got an exciting show planned for you tonight. We're going to look at how to include PHP files within PHP files to save ourselves some redundancy and extra work when it comes to updating our website. Woo! And of course, our AOL accounts has been going nuts all week. So... You've got mail. So we'll be looking at that too as well tonight. We've got a ton of viewer questions we're going to be diving into. At least 10. Around. Over to the newsroom, <laughs> Sasha Dermatis. How oh, are you? Great. Here's what's coming up in the Category5.tv newsroom. Internet users in Britain can now start the process of switching broadband supplier with just one phone call. Canadian group Earthcast plans to put a 16-satellite constellation in orbit to image the Earth. The Competition and Markets Authority has made allegations that people are blackmailing companies with the threat of poor online reviews as a way to make money. The food company Heinz has apologized after a QR code on a bottle of tomato ketchup directed people to a pornography website. Researchers have unearthed dozens of Android apps in the official Google Play Store that expose user passwords because the apps fail to properly implement HTTPS encryption during login. Or worse yet, don't use it at all. An app which allows users to download recipes suggested by IBM's supercomputer Watson is going live for the public to test. And ever get stuck behind a big truck and feel like you can't see the road ahead? Samsung has a solution. Stick around, the full details are coming up later in the show. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Starring Sasha Dermatis. Hillary Rumble. Krista Wells. Eric Kidd. And your host, Robbie Ferguson. Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. I'm Robbie Ferguson. I'm Kelsey Jensen. So nice to see you. Thanks for joining us tonight. Welcome. We've got a lot to cover. I know we've got lots of viewer questions, so we're just going to jump right into it. want to say hey to our chat room. We've got some new viewers joining us from around the world as well. Uh, Sepson and Dogmint13. Hello and welcome to the show. Sparkly balls. <laughs> He's going to be Chris. so... <laughs> Christronic. I was trying. Sorry, I was trying to move that along real quick. <laughs> bon Edel, I think. And Wirenut and Troll. Troll. Oh, how do you say Troll? Troll. Troll. It's like I'm in slow motion. Troll. Galways. Also, Vigor. Oh, oh, and CHBMB. Spy Dog. I like that. Sai Joe. Geocuzzi64. Love these names. Who else you got? N8 from AZ. I just wanted to see if she would get it. Nate from Arizona. Oh. Welcome to the show, and thanks for registering on our website. It's free to do so. Go to category5.tv, and when you're there, just click on the register button, and you will become a bona fide member of our community. You can win stuff. We got stickers to give away to uh, anyone who sends us a postcard. That's wonderful. We've got our new address at the bottom of our website, category5.tv. You can find it all over. You click on contact us. It's there. Believe it or not, send us a postcard, hopefully with a picture of your hometown or home state or wherever it is that you're from. Or somewhere close to your house. Somewhere near there. The next four people who send one in are going to get a two-up premium vinyl sticker set of the Category 5 Technology TV logo. That is some fancy stuff. Stick it on your laptop, your car, your face. The best place is your face. <laughs> and also we've got a draw for uh, personally autographed business cards and such, so make sure you send in a postcard. Yes. That would be awesome. 
Yes, of course. And of course, Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN. And the International Association of Internet Broadcasters, Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Now, Robbie, before yes. we get into the story tonight, a couple weeks ago, remember, we did Space Sniffer. Yes. Um, and I have found that extremely useful. My laptop used to belong to my brother or our camera guy. And, well, you I... You don't actually have a name. Adam. My brother. My brother, the camera guy. camera guy. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I bought it off of him about a year ago. And since then, I've always... My hard drive has always been very full. And yeah. I never knew why. So I went home after the show about a week later. and decided, I'm going to look at this because... Nice. Games and stuff. And... I loaded it up, and I found that my brother's old Windows file was taking up 250 gigabytes of my hard drive space. How big was your hard drive? 500. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, Adam, for that. So did did you just go through and let Space Sniffer clear it all out? Yeah, I just I hit delete on it, and (laughs) I got rid of like two, at least 200 gigabytes. I had to keep like 500 because otherwise it would just crash the Windows. But. You know, right. I was like, yay. A little That's bit of cool. peace well, of good, mind. Uh, there's a, a good example of how Space Sniffer, something that we reviewed here on the show, uh, has helped even somebody here to free up space in their computer. If you haven't yeah. seen that episode, do you remember the episode that uh, that we actually looked at that on? You can go to our website, um, category5.tv. I realize that some people will be watching this a year from now, yeah. so I always prefer to mention the uh, the episode number. So if I just scroll down a little ways here... It was the one right after the barbecue. Num- yeah, number 401. 401. So uh, check out episode 401. Find out how to free some space on Windows or Linux. Your laptop, of course. You mentioned Windows, so yes. it's a Windows laptop. Yeah. And it worked just great. It worked perfectly. Right. I was very happy with it. <laughs> Our demonstration on episode 401 was uh, done on Linux yes. using the same tool. But it still works. Linden wants to know what on earth was so large on your hard drive taking up 250 gigs? Games. Games. <laughs> Gaming files. Oh, I guess so. Do you do any M- MMORPGs or anything like that? No? Nope. First person shooters. Yeah. They take up that much space and they're not. Those ones Holy did, cow. apparently. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Them are some big games. I, I, I know, like, when I play. Uh, some MMORPGs with the kids. They are constantly downloading gigs and gigs of scene files and new textures and everything, and it leaves a lot of junk behind. Yeah. So, but uh, hey, there you go. Good stuff. Yeah. Doom. <laughs> the 1990s edition. Just insert the floppy disk and you're good to go. <laughs> I actually, I was working on Windows, a couple of crazy things on Windows today. First of all, brought up a document that somebody had sent me and I pressed print and Windows asked me would you like to enable printing for this document and that was a real duh moment like I can understand emptying the recycle bin are you sure you want to empty your recycle bin or shutting down are you sure you want to shut down maybe for safety reasons but when I press print do you want to enable printing but uh, yeah I mean a couple of crazy things that happened on Windows today I can't remember the second one now. Yeah. My mind has completely forgotten it. That's, that's okay. Cool. That happens. I appreciate our, our YouTube viewers, uh, people who tweet to us, people who, uh, who are uh, members of our community on Facebook, Google+, all around the web. And we oftentimes get, well, we get a lot of questions on our, on our YouTube channel as replies to different, uh, different episodes and stuff. Really, really hard to keep up with that stuff. It's, it's always appreciated when you go to our website and hot link to get there, cat5.tv slash ask is a really good way to submit your questions because then it goes always to the right place, which is this laptop right there. Uh, when you ask your questions on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Google+, on any of these social platforms, we do our absolute best, but sometimes, truth be told, it's going to fall through the cracks because we're not, uh, we're not always notified of, of those, or sometimes you know, we post an episode and we get 300 replies. So that could be tough. However, on Twitter this week, Andrew Jameson came up and said, can you make a list of functions in a separate PHP file and use an include line on every PHP page it needs to be used on? And to that we said, hey. Yes. Yeah, we can do that, and let's actually make a a spectacle of it. 
so that the whole world can partake of the answer of this question, Andrew Jameson. Thanks for sending that in. Glad I caught that. We were looking at, uh, at creating functions uh, in PHP through our series, Beginner to Intermediate PHP. Uh, this is episode nine of that series as we look at how we can actually create uh, an include. What does that mean? Yes, that's, that's what does question. that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Um, basically, think about a, a good example that I could give you to give you a, a bit of an analogy. If, um, if I created a menu mm -hmm. for my website, and my website is PHP, and every single page of that website has that menu on it. So then if I need to rename something simple on the menu, I would have to go into each of those PHP files and rename it, rename it, rename it redundantly over and over and over again. So by taking that menu code, putting it into its own PHP file, and then including it in other PHP files, so the, the other pages of the website, it would effectively place that menu there, and then I only ever have to edit the menu file right. once. Right. That's cool. You know I hate redundancy. Yes. Um, but also, when it comes to something like um, on episode 402, we were talking about how to create a function, and we started with one called plural. And if we wanted to use that function over and over again, we would have to, uh, well, we'd be wise to actually include uh, a file that contains that function so that if we ever want to change it or if we ever want to migrate it to another project, it's one file that we can just drag and drop anywhere we want. It also helps as projects grow. You think of a project like Category 5 Technology TV. Go to our website, category5.tv. You'll see it's fairly vast. There are 405 hours of video there and a ton of content. And if we had to go through and, and modify every file when we change a server, for example, right. that would be an absolute nightmare. How would we possibly get through that? So using PHP includes, we can instead make it so that we can just edit one file, change the server address, and every file then has that include, and it's, uh, it's good to go. So let's take a look at uh, Plural, uh, which was uh, number 23 on our demo server. So if you go to demo.cat5.tv slash 023, I'm just going to go there now. demo.cat5.tv slash 023. There it is. That's going to give you the code that we created during that show. And you'll see that uh, that function is going to give me everything that I need in order to uh, do plural. But if we want to be able to include that um, throughout other projects, we're going, to, uh, we're going to learn to do that right now. So let's take that, copy that to my clipboard. It's really, really simple. You're going to be surprised at this, Andrew how easy this really is. I'm going to just create a file, and I'm going to call this functions.php, and I'm just throwing that on my desktop right now. And you'll see that in my functions.php, I can paste that. Make sure you open PHP and close PHP. You don't technically have to close it. I like to stick to form, and, uh, and I like to you know, have proper syntax all, all the way across the board. So there's the function that we had created, but now it resides in a file called functions.php. There we go. Save that. And let's jump over to number 024. We're just, sorry, okay, we're just having a report that we've got a mic problem in the, uh, in the chat room there, and we appreciate our community, so we're going to see if we can fix that. Who, uh, chat room, who is it that, uh, who is it that's it's Kelsey. Kelsey. Kelsey's yeah. heavy breathing. Are you breathing out through your nose? <laughs> Trying not to. Do it. Do it. How about me? I think it's the fan. I think it's the fan? Yeah. Is it? Is it that bad, folks? <laughs> we have to interrupt an international broadcast. How are we, chat room? I didn't catch the... Every breath you take. Every move. How much can we sing before we violate copyrights? Oh. That's when... 
There we go. Okay, how's that, Kels? Say something. Uh, yes, this is Kelsey. <laughs> Category 5 is brought to you by the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv. Do you like that, folks? Is that better? Yeah, that's, they're saying it's better. Okay. Okay. It's, it's your booming voice. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Where was I before I was so rudely interrupted <laughs> by these microphones? Okay, jumping right over. And we've got a guest here in the studio. Kevin is, uh, is joining us. And I, before the show, made a point of mentioning that we have great compressors that take care of all that for us. And uh, <laughs> proved that wrong. <laughs> Murphy's Law. There it is. There yes. you Okay, jumping back over to our system here. Now, I have created a new folder called 024 so that you can follow along with me. Watch what's going to happen here. I'm going to grab that file that I created called functions.php. I'm going to throw it onto my server right there. And it doesn't have any output. It does absolutely nothing because it is just a function. Let's grab that old index.php from number 23, upload it to our server, and edit it. And let's get rid of the function because we don't want to, uh, to be tricky there. So what's going to happen here? You remember this from episode uh, 402. It's calling the plural, um, the plural function right there. So I'm going to save that, upload it to my server, and watch what's going to happen. It's going to give me an error. Let's go with the upload and refresh. Fatal error. Called to, un, called to undefined function plural. Well, there's no function called plural. It doesn't exist. I just deleted it from the header of that index.php. So what Andrew was wondering, hey, can we include it? Yeah. So it's actually the command is include. I'm going to get that a little larger for you. Those of you watching on your phones, you're like, hey, come on, zoom in, guy. All right, so we're going to include dot slash for current folder, just like Linux syntax, and we're going to say functions.php. Okay, so now as I save that, upload it to my server, and then refresh, he wanted to compare seven items. Now refer back to episode number 402 to understand what that means, but basically that function now works. So if I were to now take that file, let's, uh, let's create a new file. I'm going to create a new file called um, contact.php. And then I'm going to re-upload index.php. So now we have three files, contact, index, and functions. So now if I go to contact, it's the exact same thing. Watch this, contact.php, because it's a copy of index.php, right? So it's including the functions. So where that becomes really awesome is, like I used the example of the menu. So if I needed to make changes to this function, it's brilliant. I'm going to show you that. But also keep in mind, as you get a project that's growing and becoming bigger and bigger, Andrew, um, it's going to get to the point where having functions across all different files is going to be messy if you ever need to make changes to them. And also, if you ever wanted to reuse that, say you want to call on function uh, the function plural. Well, did I, did I remember to include that in my file? And so on and so forth. So we're avoiding that by putting it in an external file. So let's jump back to, on our server, the functions.php file. And if I edit that, you'll see my return is like that, right? But just for the sake of fun, just so that we know that this is working, let's just say in here, let's go echo. This is a good, good way just to test that your functions are indeed running. You can go echo, um, it works, okay? So now anytime the function called plural is called, it's going to also say it works. I should add a carriage return there as well. <laughs> My uploader took over the screen, but you get the idea. That's what I typed. Carriage return. Okay, so now if I bring up contact.php, refresh the site, it works, it works. Called it twice. Why is that? Well, because he wanted to compare was the first instance of plural. Seven items is the second instance of plural when you review the code from 023. Okay. So now what happens if I now remove contact.php, which as we know is now going to load index.php. As I hit enter, you'll see it's exactly the same. I didn't edit index.php. I didn't edit contact.php. 
yet the change that I made to functions.php when the function is called automatically has updated across all of my files. So you can understand how after your site has 100 files or 1,000 files or whatever it may be as you grow, having that include is going to save you so much time and effort um, and also just make it easier so that those functions are available across your entire platform. I also like to create, uh, once I've got a great uh, load of functions put together that work really well for me. Plural is a good example. It just saves a lot of um, aggravation and makes things better from a programmatic standpoint. Um, it's something that I want to reuse on all of my websites. So I take that function.php, functions.php, and I just copy it to all my different projects. Or maybe I have it somewhere locally on the server and I include it from all my projects. So finally, Andrew, and for those of you who are um, curious about this as well, there are basically four different ways that you can do an include in PHP. There's include, like I've shown you here. There's include once, which is just ever so slightly different. It goes a little something, something like this. Take that include, and if I can find my cursor here, I'm going to just click instead. Save me the trouble. Include once. Okay, so what does that do differently? It's exactly the same programmatically as far as what you're going to see output and, and the way it works. However, where that's really, really helpful is if you're building a project and you're, you're not entirely sure, hey, is it already included in this file? If I included it twice, if I have include and then functions.php, include functions.php somewhere else in the file, then it's going to crash and it's going to say... Um, function already exists, cannot redeclare function plural. So by using include once, you're basically saying, hey, if I haven't already included this, let's include it. If I have, skip over this line and ignore it completely. So it's pretty helpful to do that, and you'll see uh, quite often I use include once just because uh, it's a safer way to code. The next one is require. Require means uh, we're not just including, we actually need this. So the functionality of functions.php is required to our project. Do not continue executing code if require, uh, if that file is not found or if there's an error loading it, for example. So the way that looks is require. Similarly, the fourth and final option is called require once. And you can guess, Kelsey, what that means based on include once. Include require once is you need it once. If I've already if I've already included it through the through a previous include or a previous require, it will not do it again. It won't try again. So it'll only do it once. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it's required. So if it's not found or if there's an error processing that file, stop executing. Don't go any further. Helpful in a case where, for example, uh, your include is a database connector. Right. So your MySQLi information to connect to the database server and so on. And the very next thing in your script deletes something or changes something. Well, if you can't connect to the database, make sure you don't go any further. So an include would be inappropriate in a case like that. A require or a require once would be more appropriate because everything that happens after that needs that database. Right. So that's where that comes in. Thanks for the question, Andrew. Hope that helps and hope that uh, clarifies things for you. I will post the code, as always, for that. Um, that one's going to be at demo.cat5.tv slash 024. Be sure to check that out. Be sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the time just to see. All right, Sasha's anxious to get her on the air. Have we got time for a real quick question, Sasha? Do, uh, yeah, you absolutely yeah. have time. All right. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, no right. problem. What do you got for me? Our first question. Thanks for sending in all the questions, folks. Yes. Our first question is from Valley. Uh, they say, I tried, tried disabling USB mass storage device in Microsoft Windows and went on 8.1 with no success. It's Windows 8.1. When I plug in my U USB stick, it starts the auto run and I can use it. But after I take it out and put it back in again, they can't use it anymore. Why is this happening? Hmm. You've got to read it like, like they're saying. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Like the, you know, the stick figure guy? <laughs> you can yeah. picture it, can't you? Yes. Um, 
Okay, I I would just want to know: Are you doing a safe unmount, or are you just ejecting by unplugging? With those devices, you really need to make sure that you eject it properly. So that uh, easy way to explain it: just bring up computer where you see your C drive and your F drive and whatever other drives. Right-click on that flash drive and choose eject. If you're not doing that, if you're just pulling that drive out, it's possibly corrupting file system. Windows won't know any better that, um, I'm assuming Windows, yeah, Microsoft Windows. Yeah. That's, right. um, that's why that was in my head. It won't know any better that it's disconnected necessarily, so then when you plug it back in, the driver's not connected and everything, so make sure you're ejecting. If that's not the problem, uh, then we, you may have uh, possibly a, a bad stick. Sometimes that can be the case. Um, try plugging it into a different USB port in, in that moment and see if it picks it up then. Um, but um, USB sticks, I should mention, flash drives are not very reliable, so don't yeah. ever keep a single instance of a file on those. Uh, I see it way too often where somebody comes in and they say, here's my backup, and it's a flash drive. I had a whole bunch of pictures on my computer taking up space, so I moved them onto here. Well, yeah. that's not a backup at all, and now this flash drive doesn't work anymore. And because it's flash media, it's basically, it's all is lost. That's is, is, it is it really bad that I don't do that? Well, like yeah. 90% of the time? Like <laughs> a backup is when you have multiple copies, at least two copies of everything that is important to you. If it's not copies, if it's not redundant, then you have a chance to lose everything if that were to But you just said you hate redundant. Except when it comes to darkness. <laughs> That's when redundancy is okay. It's okay. I have severely sense. redundant backups. And, and even my backup server has redundancy in the server. Your so backup says backups. Fails. My backup that doesn't just have backups. It also has redundancy. So if a drive fails in the backup, I don't lose the data of the backup. Plus it's backed up off-site. But back to your flash drive, it could be failing. That would be the next thing. So make sure you keep all your files safe off of that as well. Make sure you've got extra copies. Sometimes you know, the stars are aligned in some way that you just get that extra couple of minutes to be able to plug it in, copy the files, and then it goes dead. So if that's you, make sure you copy those files off yes. right away. Don't move them. Copy, copy them. them. I need to do that. <laughs> One more question. One more and then, question? And then we've got news, and then we're back to it. Okay. Or comment, or whatever you've got for Yes. This question is from Adam, not that Adam, a different one. One with a name? One with... <laughs> um, it was episode 103 that... Yeah, 103 that sold sold Adam on Uniraid and made it him Unraid. choose Unraid. Going way back. Episode 103, this is 405. Woo. And it made him choose it for his NAS. On the next show, can you talk more about running Windows on Unraid and show how it works? On the next show. On the next like show. <laughs> if every question had, on the next show, could you? And then, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah we'll do that. Moving along. Um, okay, yeah, actually. Okay, so looking at the question, we've got Unraid. Episode 103 from way back in the Unraid version 4, I believe, era. We built our Unraid server. It was brilliant, and it's still running operational today, but it's running version 6. Right. It's fantastic. So back then when I built it, you, your server was way more powerful. And I think I mentioned in, on episode 103 that you've got so much power, it's, it's seemingly wasted by just using a, a storage server because it's, it's really power. You know, you've got a P4 computer, or a, now you, you've got something even better than that. And what can you do with all that power? Well, Unraid 6 says we can now virtualize. We can install Windows into Unraid. It's got full access to the Unraid um, arrays, or the array itself, so that we can save and modify files directly on the array as if it was a hard drive in Windows. It's fantastic. But you still gain the redundancy of Unraid and the Samba right. shares and all that. So. Um, so we are going to, just so you're aware, we're going to do a feature where we're, we're putting together an Unraid 6 server and we're going to do some installations um, in, in that server. So you're going to get to see all that, promise you that, um, and we're going to do some virtualization as well. Windows will be a part of that. 
Um, it's not something that's going to happen immediately because we're gathering the hardware in order to do that, working with the Lime Tech guys to figure out what we want to do, right. and then we're going to be bringing it your way. So we're going to keep that in mind. Your question, it's not going to be the next show, but it will be yes. on an upcoming it show. Will, so yes. make sure you watch our website, category5.tv, and then as well, uh, the Lime Technology Forums are a great place to find out more about what's coming up, and we always post there whenever we're going to be uh, having them visit. Yes. Thanks for the question. Thank All you very right. much. Over to the Category 5.TV newsroom, here's Sasha. It's Tuesday, June 23rd, 2015, and here are the stories we're covering this week. If you're in Britain, you're just one phone call away from switching internet service providers. Earthcast plans to put a 16-satellite constellation in orbit to image the Earth, capable of shooting live video at 30 frames per second with half-meter resolution. That online review that caused you to buy from Company X instead of Company Y may have been fake. Whoops. Heinz didn't renew a domain, and the QR code on their ketchup bottles have been directing users to a porn site. Dozens of popular Android apps have been found to leak your user credentials. IBM's cognitive supercomputer is developing entirely new flavor combinations in the kitchen. And Samsung has always wanted to change lives but now they hope to save them with their new innovation for transport trucks. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Thanks, Sasha. Now, you've got perhaps a blog or a podcast, a video podcast, webcast, or a business that you need a logo for. And logos can be quite pricey, but we've got a deal for you. Starting at only $149, you will get a professionally designed logo. All you have to do is go over to cat5.tv slash logo and find out why these guys are number one on the internet. Uh, get your logo for only uh, starting at $149, cat5.tv slash logo. Back to the newsroom. Here's Sasha. I'm Sasha Dermatis, and here are the top stories from the Category 5.tv newsroom. No more having to jump through so many hoops. Internet users in Britain can now start the process of switching broadband suppliers with just one phone call. The simpler rules replace the previous confusing setup under which different systems were used for some services and suppliers. The changed regime may not end up being faster because of a 10-day notification period built into the process. And, say critics, the changes might mean more attempts to switch people without their permission. Drafted by Regulator Ofcom, the new rules apply to both broadband and landline services from BT, EE, Sky, and TalkTalk, which use the OpenReach network. The new rules came into force on Saturday and mean anyone who wants to change broadband supplier now only has to notify the company they wish to move to. Then the supplier should handle every aspect of the change. Ofcom boss Sharon White said the change would help people take advantage of very strong competition in the landline and broadband markets. Seems like a really good change, actually, Robbie. We don't have... Do we have something like that? Yeah. Well... Well, no. I, yeah, it's, it's kind of onerous to do any kind of move, especially when it comes to phone service or anything like that. But I think where this concerns me is that what is prevalent in today's society is like somebody came to my door last night just trying to get me to switch our electrical or gas provider mm -hmm. over to them and it's no sorry we're not interested what's dangerous is that domain registrars for example somebody like Heinz for example has a domain and they don't renew it and someone else buys it up and, and with something like this if if I think about you know some of my loved ones who are not quite technically savvy who might get a phone call and say, hey, we'll give you internet for $49 a month instead of the 59 that you're paying. All you have to do is say yes. If you make it too easy for these companies to do that, then what's to stop malicious companies from tricking people into switching? Does it say anything about prices? Prices, like anything? I think it's no. agnostic as far as pricing goes. It's literally just, if I want to switch from Bell to Rogers, just to use local examples, I know this is the UK, but then it should be as easy as me just saying, yeah, let's make the switch. Mm -hmm. But what's to stop companies from well, tricking users? I'll tell you what's happens. to stop is the 10-day wait. Wow, Probably. So <laughs> well, 
I would say the ten, the 10 day, day wait. wait? But yeah. it, but if I can if I can make a single phone call and say I want to switch, yeah, let's do it, and then I have to wait ten days for it to take place. That's a lot easier than me having to spend hours and hours on the phone, having to go back and forth, call Bell and say, okay, I need to cancel the service on the fifteenth. Call Rogers. I need to activate the service on the sixteenth. You know Bell is going to screw it up. <laughs> and you know that's how... No, if I could just make one call and say, Can't, just do it, and yeah. then I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to mind the wait for 10 days. That's true. Realistically, because I'm not involved. So, I've passed the, the torch, so to speak. Yeah, not bad. All right. Canadian group Earthcast plans to put a 16-satellite constellation in orbit to image the Earth. Earthcast already has a pair of cameras on the International Space Station, one of which returns short videos. The new proposal would see free-flying optical and radar sensors circling the globe by the start of the next decade. One of the innovative aspects of Earthcast's proposed constellation is the intention to pair an optical satellite, which sees the Earth in visible light, with a radar platform which can see the ground day or night and in all weathers. Four such pairs would be launched into two planes, one going over the poles and the other plane concentrating its observations on mid-latitudes. The radar sensor would lead with the optical camera following about a minute behind. Earth observation experts have long talked about the advantages that come from such arrangements. The all-weather capability of radar means an image of some sort is always guaranteed, while the lead spacecraft can also spot the cloud-free locations to maximize the chances of getting a picture with the following visible camera system. EarthCast has been working on a radar sensor that will operate simultaneously in the X-band and the L-band frequencies, permitting features to be seen on the ground as as small as 1 meter to 5 meters across, respectively, when the system is put into the spotlight mode. Oh, this could be interesting for security. The optical cameras will achieve half-meter resolution and will be switchable into a video mode, producing short segments of moving imagery at 30 frames per second. Wow, so this is like wow. the ultimate in surveillance, really. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking, I'm picturing the person of interest scenario again where, you know, satellites are orbiting the Earth. 16 satellites? Mm-hmm. And able to take that amount of information? Imagine 30 frames a second um, from space. Sparkly Balls in the chat room commented, I will now have to pull up my pant- trousers while outside. <laughs> For those of you who aren't familiar with our metric system, a half a meter is approximately a half a yard. So you figure they they can see something this big from space. So my dog in the backyard is visible, and that's, you know, we're we're all kind of used to the Google Earth view and everything at this point. Yeah. You know, something like this would be good in a situation like in the States where they have the two prisoners that have just escaped, and they have so much money going into the search, right? And yeah. now I guess they could use the cameras, really, to track things That's like an that. Point. And I know the cameras these days, uh, a lot of cameras, um, sports cams and, and all that kind of stuff, pre-record as you're doing stuff. And then when you hit record, it will actually record 30 seconds prior. Mm-hmm. It's like time travel for your video. Yeah. And it's cool because if I'm snapping a video and I'm just about uh, on traditional cameras, I would have missed that great shot. Well, this is already recording. So if I've got it on a tripod or whatever, or in space, and I say, oh, I need a clip, it can actually back up over this buffer that's 30 seconds or maybe 30 minutes or an hour or whatever it might be with their technology and see the past, even though they're not telling it to record in that moment. I think another thing you could use before, going off of what Sasha was saying about finding the criminals, if anyone remembers Coney 2012... Um, you could use that to like find war criminals in different countries as okay. well. That's true. So that's yeah. like... Right. This could be two things. This could be a, the most amazing Google Street View of life. <laughs> and it could also be a very big brother. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll say. All right. The Competition and Markets Authority, or CMA, has made allegations that people are blackmailing companies with the threat of poor online reviews as a way to make money. A BBC investigation has revealed that identity theft is part of the scheme, uncovering, for example, that a woman who died in a car crash in New York seven years ago supposedly posted a positive review for a loan website just recently. Turns out the photo used in the review came from her online memorial. Consumers could be unaware that some endorsements were paid for. 
Impartiality could be compromised by review sites' need to make money through subscriptions, click-throughs, or selling reputation management services to businesses. The CMA report said a review site may want to maximize its own commercial revenues from subscriptions and may jeopardize this if upset business clients by if it upsets business clients by publishing negative reviews. I can see. Wow, there's a catch-22 that undermines the integrity of online reviews. If review sites allow businesses to unpublish negative reviews, a complete picture is not clear to review site users. On on the other hand, people are writing fake negative reviews to undermine their competition for malicious reasons or for personal gain. So, the CMA has now launched an investigation into various companies as the use for of, as the use of paid for endorsements without a clear admission of payment may be unlawful. So now, wow, you could really, really blackmail a company. That's right? kind of horrible. It really is. <laughs> I, I, we depend on these online reviews these days. And sometimes, sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. Because somebody yeah. who's really good at posting fake reviews can do a, a pretty darn good job. Sometimes you'll see products where they only have one or two re, re, uh, stars. And when you read the reviews, you realize, okay, don't go by the star rating. You've got to read the reviews because sometimes, especially in tech, I realize these people don't know anything about this product yeah. at all. And they're very generic. Like if, take, take that into account, too. You've got to be able to spot false reviews. Right. It's tough, though, when you see a couple products, one of them is five out of five stars and one of them is three out of five stars. If you don't actually go to the effort of reading the reviews and figuring out, oh, that one's definitely fake then you know you're you're not getting a clear view of what's yeah. what's good and what's not mm-hmm. i don't know it's reminiscent of the times when some of the more popular stars were buying followers and buying likes it's sort of the opposite yeah. of that <laughs> just <to> be ver- <laughs> yeah <laughs> well in saucier news the food company heinz has apologized after a qr code on a bottle of tomato ketchup directed people to a pornography website the company said that the code was out of date and that it was taking steps to prevent it from happening again. The code, which people can scan using a smartphone in order to access content online, was supposed to direct users to a site where they could design their own label for a bottle of Heinz tomato ketchup hot as part of a promotion by the company. Instead, the URL was hosting porn. A security expert says the issue was illustrative of the potential dangers of QR codes. What is best about this is it was hot ketchup. (laughs) That's some spicy sauce right there. (laughs) Goodness gracious. All right. Researchers have unearthed dozens of Android apps in the official Google Play Store that expose user passwords because the apps fail to properly implement HTTPS encryption during logins or don't use them at all. The roster of faulty apps have more than 200 million collective downloads from Google Play and have remained vulnerable even after developers were alerted to the defects. The apps include the official titles from the National Basketball Association, the Match.com dating service, the Safeway supermarket chain, and the Pizza Hut restaurant chain. They were uncovered by AppBugs, a developer of a free Android app that spots dangerous apps installed on users' handsets. The Match.com app is the worst of the lot. It uses an unencrypted HTTP. HTTP when sending user passwords, making it extremely easy for your grandmother to monitor the traffic and read all the credentials. Other apps, such as the NBA Game Time and those from Safeway and Pizza Hut, use HTTPS encryption but don't implement it correctly. As a result, a man-in-the-middle attacker can use a self-signed or otherwise fraudulent digital certificate to read the login data. The CEO of AppBugs reports that his app discovered 100 apps that didn't protect login credentials, and since then, only 28 have been fixed. It wouldn't be hard for Google to detect such shortcomings in the apps it makes available on its own servers, but there's no indication that they have done that. So, really download at your own risk. Is there, like, a website that tells you what apps are affected by this? That would be handy. Well, isn't app... App bugs. Can you download app bugs yourself yes, to it's scan? An app, yeah. In fact, that tells you what um, what um, apps are malicious on your device. 
That that'd be useful because I've got an Android device. Not I really don't want that dying, <laughs> or all my passwords leaks. You know. Yeah. Or you know you're on Match.com and someone well. grabs your password and then they turn around and post bad reviews. Yeah. How do you about like that? About ketchup. About ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> um, App which allows users to download recipes suggested by AB, IBM's supercomputer Watson is going live for the public to test. This is yummy news. Wow. The Chef Watson app <laughs> offers unique recipes by combining ingredients with data about the way humans perceive food. Last year, Chef Watson was shown off at conferences and other events such as the South by Southwest Festival in Texas. It drew on vast databases, one containing existing recipes, another providing data on flavor compounds in thousands of ingredients, and a third with psychological data about how humans perceive different flavors. At the time, IBM said the system demonstrated how computers could be creative, but added that it was also an example about how, in the future, humans and machines would work together. I guess, yeah, the machines can't actually cook the food, but they can give you the ideas. Stacy Rivera... Digital director of Bon Appetit says, we've been impressed by the creative ideas users have discovered so far. Um, to see not only what dishes they were making, but what common food problems they were solving with the help of Watson. From cutting out the gluten to limiting the amount of waste in their kitchen, the Chef Watson app proves that if you give cooks a tool to help them be creative in the kitchen, they will be. Some of the initial dishes cooked up by Chef Watson were pretty outlandish, such as Baltic apple pie, which includes a layer of pork. And there are some pretty bizarre flavor combinations on the app, including a strawberry curry. Watson is doing much more than just cooking up recipes. In May, it was announced that Watson would be used to make decisions about cancer care in 14 hospitals in the U.S. and Canada. During July's Wimbledon Tennis Championships, all of the points will be fed into Watson and new tennis facts will be served up via human-readable alerts which will be posted on Facebook and Twitter. And recently, the talks from all previous TED conferences have been inputted into the machine, allowing users to ask a series of questions based on the topics covered. Wow, I'll say I will definitely use that. I'll use Watson if I can upload what I have in my fridge and he can tell me what I should be cooking so that my food doesn't go bad. Because I'll buy an ingredient for one meal yeah. And then two weeks later, I'm like, oh, what smells bad? Oh, yeah, it's the cilantro that I needed for one dish. <laughs> Watson, I've got cilantro. What should I do? Exactly. Rub some bacon on it. All I can, think of, of, all I can think of is, is Sherlock Holmes and John Watson. <laughs> <laughs> well, Watson, what should we cook today? Mm, yes, Sherlock, I think we should make this. <laughs> it's crazy, though, to think... AI is being used to create recipes, and, and yeah. it's an interesting, what an interesting way to evolve the artificial intelligence. Right. To, to figure out, okay, well, what actually works? And if humans like the taste of apples with pork, and what they, if we did this? And it, and it actually it kind of intelligently made that deduction. And they sort of do, right? Because when you go to a pig roast, there's always an yeah. apple in the pig's mouth. So sure. now there's just a pig in the apple pie. See? You're it fine. It just makes sense. Yeah. It just yeah. makes sense. I like it. All right. Best news story ever. <laughs> ever get stuck behind a big truck and feel like you can't see the road ahead? Samsung has a solution. They've developed a prototype safety truck technology, which uses a front-mounted camera that captures the view ahead and then sends it as a live feed to the screen in the rear. Drivers behind the truck can see immediately what lies beyond the semi-truck, even if it's dark outside. This information could reduce the number of impatient drivers who attempt to pass semi-trucks on single-lane highways, where the only other way to see if another vehicle is, is oncoming is to drift into the other lane. For a peak. Samsung tested the concept in Argentina and says that they are planning to test it elsewhere, although have not made any concrete announcements. I like this so much because I think that it will be so intriguing for people to see these trucks that they might actually peel their eyes away from their phones while they're driving. <laughs> so it's automatically safer. It's automatically safer. because people will just be looking at the truck, which actually means they're looking at the road, which is amazing. 
<laughs> I wonder if I saw this in front of me. I think it's smart because we, we went to the cottage this past weekend and, and I saw it because I, I don't speed and, and everyone else in the world apparently does. And people would do that where they're nudging out and there's a truck coming towards us or they're nudging out and there's someone else coming toward us and it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So this thing, you've got a big screen on the back and you can actually see fairly realistic, like the, the dimensions and everything look really good. Um, see what's in front of the truck or coming toward them so you don't have to nudge out. But I wonder, would you be, uh, would it be like when you're biking and you've got a rear view mirror and you tend to gaze into your rear view mirror and then you realize, oh, I need to be watching where I'm going. Yep. Would you be looking at that and not realizing that you're, oh, you're watching this screen? Yeah, but what you're doing, because the only thing that you're watching what's immediately ahead of that truck. So, so yes. you're only just missing the truck if you do gap out and you're watching But the if road. the truck suddenly slammed on its brakes, would I slam into the truck because... Well, no, because the brakes are right beside the screen. This is what's so ingenious. You're okay. staring at the screen. If all of a sudden it lights up red, obviously the truck is stopping. I love this. Neat. I love it. I want every truck. I want every vehicle. I honestly it. think that would be a really good idea. That's smart. Smart. It's a, it, it's a smart truck. Instead of a smartphone, it's a smart truck. We need to team up with Freightliner and <laughs> do this so that now they've got the autonomous truck Adam's, with the screen behind it. Adam's giving me a look. <laughs> Perfect. A big thanks this week to Dr. Phil and Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us. If you found a news story you'd like to send, email it to newsroom at category5.tv. For all your tech news with a slight Linux bias, visit the category5.tv newsroom at newsroom.category5.tv. For the category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Dermatis. Thanks, Sasha. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Welcome to the show. I'm Robbie Ferguson. I'm Kelsey Jensen. We've got your viewer questions to cover. We've got a little bit of time left, so yes. take it away, Kelsey. I'm really hoping you know what this next one means. Cause, okay. Because I have no oh, idea. One of those, is it? Yes. A bunch of acronyms and. Sijo. It says newbie question. While in move your home directory, I could not get out of Nano Editor and back into my terminal wind- window. Can you help? What do you think my answer will be? Yes. Well done. Well done. Okay, Nano is a text editor okay. for the Linux terminal. I like it. Okay. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go onto my desktop and let's nano the functions file that I just created. So there it is. So if I'm in Nano, it's, a, it's this tool and you know I, I'm used to my GUI and if I click X, it's going to say, oh, do you want to close the terminal? No, I just want to close Nano. How do I get out? Ah! What do I do? And you'll see these crazy things down here. We've got caret X is exit. Okay, that, that sounds good. We've got caret O is to save, to write out the file. There it is. And I'm going to explain what the caret means. Any guesses? Yeah. Give me a guess. Um, let's say control. Yes, you did it. Yeah. Control. So if you are in Nano and you've done changes to the file, so if I've made a change, right? Now my file is edited, so I need to hit Control-O, and then it will ask me, well, what name do you want to give it? And it will default to the current file name, and if I hit Enter, it will say, wrote 14 lines. It saved that to the, to the file. Now, because I'm done, I can hit Control-X, and I'm right back at my terminal. That's all there is to it. Thanks for the question. Hope that helps. Yes. Because, yeah, that could be frustrating if you're not familiar. If you really want to get confused, try VI. Nano's a lot simpler as far as commands go. VI okay. is another text editor, but it's even more complex. I'll take your word on that. Good question. Thanks. Thank you. This next one comes from Data Mangler. Hey, Data Mangler. He recently had a power surge, I guess, and his computer shut off. He restarted the computer with its debt. Debian distro and noticed during boot up that the DHCP server could not be reached. Okay. Once the boot up process was complete, I went to a terminal and typed in ifconfig yep. to see what my Ethernet interface status was. The response I received in the terminal window was command not found. Why is this command not found and for what would seem to be nor- a normal operating system command? 
Uh, as a side note, at the time I didn't notice my firewall was off from the power surge as well. And as soon as I started, as soon as I restarted the firewall, everything went back to normal. Right. Okay. Well, that's great. Um, first of all, good deduction that you needed to restart your firewall, the router. Quite often, if power fluctuates, that's one of the things that's going to lock up. It just doesn't necessarily handle it very well. Unplugging it, leaving it for 30 seconds, and then plugging it back in, quite often is going to bring your internet back. In your case of using a Linux boot CD and trying to use ifconfig, that's uh, basically going to tell you your IP addresses for your network interfaces. Uh, Windows users know it as ipconfig. So you type that in, and if you're used to Windows, then you just go into command prompt and you type ipconfig and hit enter, and it gives you all the information. But what's different about Windows versus Linux? Do you know? Any guesses? I would it has to do with permissions. It has to do with why Windows is so susceptible to viruses. Because Linux gives you more options to more commands and gives you direct access to more permissions than Windows does? Permissions in that you're, you're, you're close, you're touching on it. Basically, your user out of the box doesn't have access to the Windows IP config because that would require hardware access. And Windows allows that because Windows wants it to be easy for the novice user, but that's why it also has access to installing viruses and malware and all that other yes. stuff. So where Linux out of the box says, okay, you don't actually have access to those system things. So if I bring up my terminal window, here I am logged in as Robbie on my computer and I type ifconfig, that's what you're seeing, command not found. Why is that? Well, because I'm Robbie and Robbie does not have permission to do things that are system related because this is Linux and it's much more secure. So instead, what I need to do is I need to become super user. And the way I do that on, uh, on this system is by sudo. And you've probably heard that before. It means super user do. And some distros, such as Debian, you would just type su and hit enter. And it will ask you for your root password. And you would actually become root for the rest of the session until you type exit. In this case, um, uh, Ubuntu, uh, Point Linux, um, different uh, distributions will just use sudo. So then now I type sudo ifconfig, and now it's saying super user do. So as the super user, this is what I want to do, ifconfig. So I hit enter, I enter my root password, and there is the output of ifconfig. But then again, if I type ifconfig without sudo, command not found. It's as simple as that. So it's a permissions issue. And uh, great question. Really appreciate it. And way to go dabbling in Linux and finding your way uh, and using that as a tool to correct a uh, problem with your computer. Uh, definitely a smart move. And, uh, and these are the way, you know, this is one of the ways that you learn how to, uh, how to really delve into Linux, and we're happy to help. So keep those questions coming. Thank you. They also want to know if we are set up to receive donations via Patreon. We are not set up with Patreon. However, uh, we do have a PayPal account. Uh, we do accept cash monies. We accept checks. Um, you can go to donate.category5.tv is the easiest way to find out how you can support us. We do have our mailing address if you want to send something. Um, that's kind of nice if it's a sizable contribution because then we don't have to pay the PayPal fees. Uh, yes. But for general convenience and being able to use a credit card, we just use PayPal at this point. If that's not going to work for you and you still want to support the show, I would suggest um, sending a check um, and all the information is there. Uh, donate.category5.tv and thanks for uh, for asking. Yes, I guess that means you want to support us, and I appreciate that. Yes, thank you we, very much. We've for got that. some interesting needs. Um, you know that our printer died. Um, one of our viewers, Carly, is local to us, and she actually showed up with a uh, an old black and white laser printer so we do you may have noticed we have printouts tonight Yay. and so we've got this as kind of an interim thing so the printer thing is not quite as urgent now if you have contributed or plan to contribute to the printer fund though um, that's still cool because we do want to get a color printer it's a little awkward isn't it to yeah it black and white because we use highlighting and colorization to know yeah. who's supposed to do what and everything on the show yes so um, but we do have some needs that are there you can go to donate.category5 to find out uh, donate.category5.tv to find out what those are. Yes, please do that. Thank you. Oh, we're right out of time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I just looked up. And it's time. It's time. Boy, it flies, doesn't it? Yes. You guys have fun tonight? 
You have fun? I have fun. It was oh, a good, good show. We learned lots. And yes. uh, we did have a question that came in real quick from Dennis Kelly. Um, and Dennis had a question about a particular image. Um, oh, yes. And could we do this? And, and Dennis, we received your email uh, just before the show, and Kelsey said, oh, I'd love to actually give this a go. So we're going to take a look at that on next week's show. Yes. Kelsey's confirmed that she's going to be available to be here. Very we're excited. We're going to image manipulation program, Dennis, to, to do that. So make sure you tune in next week as well to find out what it is I'm going on about <laughs> answering Dennis Kelly's question and all of yours if we can. Um, so keep them flowing in. Keep emailing us live at category5.tv or visit cat5.tv slash ask to get those into us. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks, Adam, a.k.a. camera guy. Or brother. even or Brother. You, brother. Brother. So many references to printers tonight. Sasha, thanks a lot. And Thank Kevin, you. also in the audience, nice to have mm-hmm. you here. And hope you have a fantastic week. Yes. Take See you care, next everybody. week. Bye. We hope you enjoyed the show. Category 5 TV broadcasts live from Barrie, Ontario, Canada every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you're watching this on demand or through cable TV, check out the local showtimes in your area at Category5.tv and find out when you can watch live and interact in the community chat room. Category 5 is a production of Prodigy Digital Solutions and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 2.5 Canada. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. 